today to the book of Jude. To the book of Jude today. We've been going through the small books that are in the New Testament, but they have extremely huge truths in them. And oftentimes we, we just read through them or we glance over them and we don't pay a lot of attention to them as to what the message is. Or we'll just look at one verse and not really grasp the big truth that we can find there. And we find that they're very challenging. And there's things that you come across when you are looking at Scripture that sometimes you have to address or talk about or consider or pray about that you normally would not. And today, Jude is one of those, those books. Jude, Jude is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He is the brother of James as well. Jude is not actually his given name. His name is actually Judas. And I know many of you are immediately thinking of Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. We often associate a name with with someone that we, we uh, have negative feelings about. It would be kind of like uh, Judas being named, Jude being named Judas during this time would be about the same as you being named Adolf in the 40s. When you think of that name, you think of something negative at that, this particular time. He had a brother whose name is not actually James, that's the English translation, of Jacob. Jacob is his brother. So Jesus' two brothers wrote two books that are in the New Testament, James and Jude. And we find this letter very interesting. It is complicated. It has things in there that's very brazen and bold. It's almost like a machine gun going off with bullets, bullets flying everywhere. But it's a necessary thing for us to look at. Because I declare to you today... That the second coming of Christ will not be because of an explosion, but because of an erosion within the church. The erosion of our faith precedes the second coming of Christ. That is found in Scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about there would be a great falling away. There would be a, 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 a host of people leaving the faith. So there's going to be a great erosion of the church. And I don't know about you, but I think we're living in that today. Now, here's something very interesting. Now, many people today, many of us in, in this room would, might even proclaim, well, this is a new phenomenon. This has just been going on in the last few years. This is the, the, the world's a mess. The culture's the problem. But let's go back to 1961. In 1961, Red Book Magazine. How many of you remember the Red Book Magazine? Come on now. I see. You just told us how old you were. <laughs> In August of 1961, the publishers hired one of the top pollsters in the nation to do a survey in the seminaries across the nation. And they asked some key questions, and I want you to hear what the results were in 1961. Not 2019, but 1961. That far back, of the ministers that were in training, 56% rejected the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. 71% rejected that there was life after death. They need to get a new job. 54% <laughs> rejected the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. 98% of the ministers in training in 1961 
that took this poll, 98% rejected that there would be a, be a personal return of Jesus Christ to the earth. As your pastor, can I make some things very clear? Jesus is coming back. He rose from the dead. There is a heaven and hell, a heaven to gain, a hell to shun. And you better look out because Jesus is going to return and you're going to face him one day and you're going to have to make a, make a profession. As for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus as it is in the Scripture, not as it is in the streets of the commonplace of the ideas of what we want Him to be and what we want Him to look like. We will serve Jesus as revealed in Scripture. Now, as we look at the book of Jude, this is very interesting because Jude addresses an issue that we would think he's writing a letter to 2019. But he's not. He's writing it over 2,000 years ago. Let us begin reading just a little bit here. Jude, a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. What a great greeting. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you would contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now listen, as we read this, let me point something out. Jude had something in mind he wanted to write about, something he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about that salvation. He wanted to write another Romans. He wanted to, to talk about how we are saved through grace and what that really means. But in the moment of him putting pen to paper, the Spirit led him to write something else because there was a much more urgent need. And it was about the faith. Now when we think of the faith, there's three types of faith. Number one is the saving faith. That faith that we put in Christ that we, once we die, we will be able to go to heaven because He has taken our place. He has taken our punishment. We, he died on the cross in, in our place so that we are forgiven. That is saving faith. Then there is this trusting faith that we trust Christ in our daily lives. We walk in faith. You've probably heard Paul, the Apostle Paul talk about that. We walk in faith. That faith is a faith that we exercise each and every day. The faith and the hope that Jesus is there, that Jesus is our, our, our focus, that Jesus is the one that has given us promises. That is, that is trusting faith. So there's saving faith and there's trusting faith. And the one that Jude is addressing isn't either one of those. He's addressing doctrinal faith. Now this sermon could become very controversial. It could be one that some people will reject very quickly and some will embrace very quickly and some that will be just stuck in the middle. Because we're going to be talking about the importance of the doctrinal faith. Now what is that? That which is contained in Scripture that gives us the foundation of the beliefs that we have and the application of what we do with that. This faith we're talking about today isn't one that we only accept on a Sunday morning and it has nothing to do with us Monday through Saturday. It is a faith that, that grounds us, that follows us into our homes, into our cars, into our streets, into the places we shop and the places we work. It is the faith that makes us who we are. And unfortunately, that faith the way we have dealt with it has run a lot of people away from the church in this day and time. Just this last week, as John and I was taking someone home, 
Thursday night. And we were talking about church. He said, oh, I'm going to paraphrase. I don't have anything to do with church. It's just filled with hypocrites. I'm perfectly fine on my own. It's because he has measured God based on us. But there is a hope and a truth that we must fight for. It is not that our brother will be perfect. It is not that we shall be perfect. But that Jesus Christ in his saving hope is proclaimed to those who are lost in this world. That is what we fight for. Here's what really encourages me. Thursday night, there were a whole bunch of people that saw a church that wasn't about them. They saw a church that was about the community and people. There's a post on Facebook talking about how cozy it was and how friendly everyone was. You know what you just did? You just gave a little touch of Jesus to a whole bunch of people who have seen Christians in a negative light. The faith we have is the hope for the world, ladies and gentlemen. It is not deeper philosophy. See, during this time, the reason Jude is having to say contend earnestly for the faith is there was people who had infiltrated the church. Well, let's, let's just read verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. And he highlights this whole letter here. Verse 4, he says certain persons. Verse 8, these men. Verse 10, these men. Over in verse 12, these are the men. Verse 14, these men. Verse 16, these are. In verse 19, there are, these are the ones who cause divisions. It's, it's, he is writing about what's happening inside the church. The erosion that's taking place in God's house. And we as Christians today cannot buy into the idea that we just need to be tolerant and keep our mouths shut about our faith and keep it in our house, in our closet, and in our pockets. That is contrary to God's Word. Our faith is to infiltrate our life from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we wake up in the morning. Did you get that? Yes. 24 hours a day when you're asleep and when you're awake, our faith should be who we are. Remove faith from us and we are nothing but sinners on our way to hell. Maybe I got too much rest on my vacation. <laughs> Y'all better put on your seatbelts. I want us to notice in the book of Jude. As he was wanting to write about our salvation, he felt this this desire that he needed to appeal that they contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, to the chosen ones, to the holy ones, to the called, those who know Christ. But he begins to talk in verse 4 about these other people who have slipped in, who have, who have come in and they began to teach something differently. Jude calls them ungodly people. We have to be careful who is in leadership in a church. There are people in leadership in churches across this nation who are on their way to hell. I'm just going to put that out there. There are people, there are pastors in pulpits this morning preaching right now while I'm preaching who are on their way to hell because they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They only think they have this idea that religion will make you feel better when it's really, it's not about religion, it's about relationships. Jesus Christ will make the difference. And these people, they had slipped into this church and they began to erode it. It began to erode the ideas of who Jesus was. I want to make something really clear that Jude does not address how they're dressed, 
what kind of music they're playing, what the room looked like, what colors were on the wall. Jude addresses the issue at hand, which is the true faith that we hold on to as to who Jesus Christ is and who He means to the world. That was the issue. And that is the erosion that has taken place across our nation. We have to get to the place where Jesus is first and foremost in every decision we make, in everything we think, everything we do. It has to be about Jesus. Today, let's look at a portrait of what's called an apostate. An apostate is often defined as someone who, who once was religious and they walk away from it. And in that definition, I have known some people. And when I meet those, I walk away so sad. I have friends who I have ministered with who have told me, oh, we've moved on beyond that. I've grown up now and I'm in college and that just, I've gone beyond that simple thinking. It breaks my heart. I walk away, literally, I am depressed and all I want to do is go sit and cry. Because they have tasted of what is good. But here is something that I think is very key that we need to look at here in Jude. When we see what Jude is writing, he says those things that was once and for all handed down to the saints. Now, if you want to have a conversation about how these other books, these other religions have are not from God, that verse fills it all. It's been once and for all been handed down to the saints through the apostles. There isn't another book. There isn't other scriptures that should dictate to us what our beliefs are because it is this that was written by God through man right here. And he said it is finished. And this right here as we look through this in verse 4 we begin to see how they are condemned. They are ungodly people. They don't know about the grace of God. When you read over in Jude it says they are devoid of the Spirit in verse 19. They do not know Christ. You can have a form of godliness in your life. You can come to church. You can look good. But if you do not know Jesus, it will do you no good when it comes to facing God. Jesus is the answer. So as we look today at this portrait, first thing I want us to look at is in verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God in lasciviousness. That's such a hard word for me to say being from Delonica. Let me break it down to this. The first thing I want to talk about is a denial of the Lordship of Christ. Because see, at the end of that verse, and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Jesus as being the way, that Jesus is in control of their life, that Jesus is the one. Jesus isn't one. He may be one of many to them. An apostate begins to think that, you know, I don't know Christ, I haven't experienced Christ, and all this stuff. There's a lot of other things that sound just as good. Why can't we be tolerant? Why can't we be open for all these other things? It's because our belief is based on Jesus. And the greatest book that's ever revealed who He is is the Holy Bible, the Scriptures which we have today, which they did not even have in their hands, but yet they had to fight for what they believed in in their faith. It was hard for them. And God written it down and put it in front of us. And as we look 
At this cry for Jude, we can see that they are without God in verse 15. They are devoid of the Spirit. They have not known Jesus. They weren't saved today and lost tomorrow. They were never saved to start with. They were in and they were trying to divide and make other people like them. If they are working so hard to make us like them, why don't we work harder to make them like us? Why is that? Second thing in verse 4, that big word that this Delonica boy has a hard time pronouncing, is that they use God for their own personal pleasures. God is someone who gives them unbridled constraint in their moral choices. Well, I'm going to be all right. Jesus has forgiven me. We're all God's children. We're going to be okay. I can do whatever I want. It's not going to bother anybody or anything. See, that is someone that we must, we must look at in a very special way because they're lost. The grace that gives us wings to fly also gives us the grace to only fly so high. Gives us the freedom. But there are certain constraints within that freedom that we must live in. And the Bible gives us those things. God did not save us for us to just live however we want to live. See, what had infiltrated the church at this time, this Gnosticism, was this idea that, you know what? Just keep on sinning because grace just abounds more and more. The more you sin, the more grace has to be poured out. So just go for it. Live however you want. Your flesh is evil. God will take care of your spirit and your soul. That isn't preached much today. You don't hear that. But how many people live that today? But that had infiltrated the church. And Jude is saying, enough with that. There's more. The third thing about a portrait is this. That selfishness is the prevailing attitude. Look at verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming, that's how they would get their revelations and their ideas and their thoughts to share with people. They would have these dreams. Well, I had a dream last night. I had a dream one time. I won a million dollars and I still ain't got it. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. The reason they do that is because they are very selfish individuals. They're men that only look at their own ways or women who only look at themselves. Verse 12, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love fest when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Verse 16, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. It's all about them. And when we see people like that, can your pastor just be very blunt and honest right now? We as Christians treat them like the enemy. Like they're horrible people. Can you believe what they're doing? I'm not going to go talk to them anymore because of the way they're acting. Can you believe they've chosen to live like that? We treat them like God has given us the right to condemn them. God forgive us for our arrogant attitude in putting ourselves in the position 
of God. Even if they are an apostate, if they are someone who is who has come into church and they're trying to mess everything up. Let me tell you what is very clear in Scripture that we need to do. We need to treat them like they're lost. And how does God tell us that we are to treat those who are lost and without Jesus? As enemies? Are we to treat them like they are vile and ooh, dirty and nasty and I don't want anything to do with that? What are we to do? Do you know that every New Testament book except for Philemon addresses and warns about false teaching? That this faith that we have is so important. Why does it do that? Because we need to fight for the content and the application of our faith in Jesus Christ because people matter. If we sit back and only let our faith erode away by the opinions of people in our people in our society and the popular opinions on TV and what is happening around us, if they dictate our faith, people will die without hope and salvation. The word that is used here for contend in verse 3. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith is the Greek word and when you break down that word, the first part of it means to heighten, to raise it up, to pull it, pull it way up here. And right in the middle is this word we get agony from. It's not easy. If you want the easy road, don't follow Jesus because the easy road leads you to hell. The hard road is the one Jesus asked us to follow. Take up your cross and follow me. It is a narrow path. It is not going to be easy. If you think if I accept Jesus, everything will be easy and everything will get fixed in my life. That's the wrong reason to accept Jesus. Because it may not get easier. I'm here to just tell you the truth. It may get harder. Boy, that's not much of an appeal. That's not a good salesman to... To say it will get tougher and get harder. I'm not up here to sell you Jesus. I'm up here to tell you about the truth of Jesus Christ. And the hope that he brings to our life. That's what's important. The Holy Spirit sells Jesus to your heart by convicting you of sin. But it is so important for us to fight for our faith personally for ourselves. You may struggle with understanding fully who Jesus is because you hear people, oh, Jesus is all about love. We need to love everybody and love one another. And there's some truth in that. But how do you balance that with the truth when Jesus says sin is sin? How do you balance this whole idea of leading like Jesus when the world says you need to go for it and be the captain of your own ship? We have to fight for the faith of what the Scripture says in our own personal life before we can fight for the faith for other people around us. Because when we look at the beauty of this fight, it's not about me and you. It is about those people who need hope in a Savior. The fight for our faith is not about whether we're right or wrong. It's not about us saying, I came out on the top of that argument. That's not what the fight is about. It is about those people who 
have no hope in their family, who have no hope in their life. It is about those people who do not know Jesus, who have not tasted and know that it's good. Those are the reasons we fight for the faith of what it means in Scripture of who Jesus is and what we're to do with Him. Jude makes something really clear. As you look through verses 5 through 8, and then you re continue to read on, there's a lot of things in, in there that we could get into and a lot of rabbit trails we could chase. But the bottom line is this. Jude makes it very clear. For those who are ungodly, who do not have the Spirit of God in their life, they are doomed. They are in danger. They're in danger of judgment. They're in danger of punishment. He gives examples of how God has brought that about in people's lives who are ungodly, who do not believe, who do not follow Him. And so there is a danger. And if we don't stand in the gap for people, who will? We must be the ones. We must be the ones to say Jesus is the way, that He is he is part of the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, and He rose from the dead. That is the truth of the gospel, and I will stand on it until the day I breathe my last breath. I will not back down from the truth that the only hope, the only hope people can have in their lives is the hope of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a religion, not, a, not something they do on Sunday mornings, but a relationship with Jesus that will change their life. We all don't get up on Sunday morning early and get here and show up during the week to do special events just because we think it's fun. Because sometimes we work hard, don't we, Miss Patty and Michael? Y'all work really hard Thursday. Every time I looked up, they were running somewhere. They were doing something. They didn't do it just because, wow, it's so much fun to be sweating, carrying things across the field from one end to the other. It was because they love people. Jesus has made a difference in them, and they want to give and serve. That's why we do what we do, and it is worth fighting for the truth so that we can fight for those who need the hope. For those who act like they're lost, we need to treat them like they are. Just because someone says, well, I was baptized when I was eight years old. When I went to Bible school, I was baptized. But they're living a life like they're lost. Treat them like they're lost. That is what Jude is addressing here. If they act lost, treat them like they're lost. You need to pray for them. You need to reach them with the truth. Because who knows how you could be the one to bring them the one thing they've never had, and that was Jesus. The second thing about the beauty of the fight is this. If you have a, fight, a faith, if you have a faith worth fighting for, you have a faith that's worth sharing. Unfortunately, many of us, many people, do not see our faith that it's worth fighting for. It's not worth standing up for Jesus. It's not worth saying, yes, I believe. What about that one person that's at your job, at your school, that's on your sports team, the one person that sees you every week at the, at the grocery store or at the hairdresser, that one person that keeps looking, that keeps looking and keeps looking, trying to see Trying to see Jesus. 
And every time it's brought up, you change the subject. You never talk about it. You avoid it because, you know, there's two things you never talk about, especially in public. What is it? Politics and religion. I'm not asking you to go talk about religion. I'm asking you to go talk about Jesus. Amen. There's a difference. We are fighting for the souls of people, not our own position in our society. It's not about us looking good. It's not about you going, oh, well, I don't want to mess up and make Jesus look bad. Jesus was beaten. He, all his bones were out of joint. He had blood running all over him. He was nailed to a cross. How much worse can you look? Well, I don't want to affect someone coming to faith in Christ. Keeping your mouth closed will affect someone coming to the faith in Jesus Christ. More so than if you open your mouth and make a mistake and rely on the Holy Spirit to fix it. You don't have to have all the answers. A faith worth fighting for is a faith worth sharing. Do we really value our faith enough to think that it's the hope of the world? Or is it only a hope for us? Easy faith is not biblical faith. What happened in Germany was not overnight. What's happened in our culture did not happen overnight. It began as a slight erosion of what we believe. It was small compromises here and there that would lead to more compromises and more compromises until one day in Germany they would turn around and look and all the Jews were being gassed. And everybody thought, well, I guess that's all right. That was murder. There are millions of babies killed across this nation through the idea of choice. It's political, but I want to say it. Tell it faster. Every baby has a right to live. Amen. It is alive at the point of conception. It is a person. Life is valuable. But what has happened? When you look at this, this survey in 1961, no wonder abortion became legal. But you know what I think is great? I just got to share this, buddy. According to recent pollsters, the position is beginning to shift within society going the other way. That's right. But let me tell you, I wish I could give you good news. I wish I could tell you there's going to be a great revival in the church and this whole nation is going to turn their hearts and minds to Christ and we're going to see this church fill up and overflow and we're going to have to have 10 services on the weekend. But according to Scripture, there must be an erosion of faith before the second coming of Christ. So let me warn you of this. We see the erosion. You better get ready. Christ is coming. In my lifetime, I never thought I'd see the erosion of our faith, of our beliefs, at the point they are now. But they are here. And every pastor that has stood to preach for the last... 500 years has said the same thing. But how can it get any worse, ladies and gentlemen? There is an erosion of our faith that has taken place, and that is the precursor to the coming of Jesus Christ. And we must fight for the faith, uh, our faith of what we believe in Jesus, so that 
people can come to know Jesus. I'm not standing up here and telling you to fight for whether you should bake a cake or not. I'm talking about fighting for Jesus Christ and the hope of the world that's only found in Him. Not for some political agenda. Whether we have a new law or an old law will not send someone to heaven or hell. It is whether they have Jesus that will send people to heaven or hell. Jude is crying out, fight earnestly for the faith, that real heart, that truth that is in Scripture that will make a difference in someone's life. Be careful. They are, those people are doomed. They're going to be judged. We shouldn't treat them like the enemy. What do we do? Well, the first thing we need to do is grow in our own knowledge. Of our faith. Well, Pastor, how do I do that? Get into a Bible study. Our church pays a monthly fee for Right Now Media. Find something on Right Now Media. I don't know how to get connected. Great. Get with Stacy. She's going to be at the Welcome Center right after the service, right? And if you want to get connected, go out there. It's video driven Bible studies. Do it with your family, do it with your co workers, do it by yourself, do it with your wife or your husband. Do get in a Bible study. Things are you're not going to know more if you don't try to learn more. We must grow in our faith. I find it interesting that Jude, as he concludes his letter in verse verse uh, twenty, but you beloved, building yourselves up, building meaning growing, up, raising up, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Build your faith up. What you know, your doctrine, praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is part of it. But notice it didn't just say pray. It said pray in the Holy Spirit. Pastor, how do I do that? I don't have a one, two, three step process for that. Just start praying and just asking the Holy Spirit to help you pray. That's all I know. Please understand. Knowing truth is key to detecting the false truth. In discerning what is really the heart of what impacts the eternity of someone and what does not. Our foundation is the Word of God. Many people will disagree with me and deny that and say, nope, that book is outdated, it's antiquated, it has no relevance today in 2019. Can I tell you something? Because of that book, I get to know my God who speaks to me and talks to me and ministers to me and leads me and guides me. And without that book, I would be lost. Not knowing which way to turn. I may have Christ, but I would be floundering trying to figure out who God is. Second thing is we need to fight for the faith for the sake of other people. We have to fight for the faith for the sake of others. Edmund Burke said, All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. For us to sit back and continue to let all the conversations take place, oh, there's many ways to heaven. There's no acceptance if you begin to talk about your faith in public or at work or at lunch. Oh, how I wish our hearts would break for those who were lost. 
Psalm 119. Verse 36, the, 36 the, the writer says, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. A brokenness over those who are in sin. We live in a world today that is bombarding our young people. We live in a world today that in the educational system and in our universities and across our country I'm sorry I put this in my Bible several months ago and I didn't even see it right now this is one of those who left the faith that I came across his name is Campbell he was my who's your one as far as I know, he still hasn't come back. He gets to play in church just about every week at different churches because he plays drums and they pay him to come to church. But he says, ah, I don't really listen to the message. I don't pray. I don't read the Bible. I'm beyond all that stuff. I pray churches keep inviting him to play. Several months ago, we handed out these cards, these bookmarks that would have a name on it for our, our youth, our children, our young adults here in this church. We were asked to pray for one year for that name. If you have that in your Bible, I hear people flipping through their, their Bible right now. Maybe you've got it with you. Would you just get it out? Hold on to it? Touch it? the souls of our children and our college students depend on us to contend and fight for the faith. Jesus is the way. And this little boy right here, he's only been here twice since we handed this out. But oh, what joy it brought my heart to see him come. I'm not going to give up. So here's your challenge for the next week. If you've got one of these, make sure you're praying for them. Pray for that name on your bookmark. If you don't have one, for the next seven days, stand in the gap for one of our youth, our children, our young adults as they are living in a society that bombards them with this idea that there's many ways to heaven. Truth is relevant. Well, it might be right for you and wrong for me, but it's about what I feel okay about. If only the Holy Spirit would convict them and show them the truth. The hope of the world, the hope of your life, the hope of your family, the hope of your children, the hope of your grandchildren. Some of you have grandchildren who are not in church this morning. The hope is in Jesus. No other place. They'll never find it in a better job. They'll never find it in a better family. They'll only find it in Jesus.
you probably won't even find it in church. But if they can get the hope of Jesus in their heart, they'll be in church. Will you pray with me? Father, Jude is such a difficult book. Lord, our, those who came before us put it right before, right before Revelation. The book that tells us about the end times. Could it be, Father, that you placed it there as truth in itself? That it will be the erosion of our faith that will precede your second coming. And Father, when you come, it, it will be too late. Father, I pray today that you convict our hearts, that our passion for you and what our faith at its basics, what that really means to us, we pray that passion will be rekindled. Get us in the word, remove the obstacles in our lives so that we'll get in your word and fall in love with you more and more so that our hearts will break for those who do not know you. For Lord, your word is clear in Jude. Doom is coming. Judgment is coming. Destruction is coming. Lord, if you would take angels and you would cast them into an eternal fire and you would lock them up, how is it that we're better than they are? Lord, break our hearts for the lost. Lord, our baptismal's been dry way too long. We saw some young children come to faith in Christ during vacation Bible school, Lord, but let's not stop with that. Let's let that be the beginning. Convict hearts, Father, of our sin that we may turn to you to stand firm and fight for the faith of Jesus Christ in our life and remove those things that distract us from what is true and real in your word. May we never treat anyone who acts lost like they're the enemy or they're dirty or they're nasty, but may we rise up to love them so that they can see Jesus in the midst of their ugliness and their mess rather than people who hate them. Let us represent you in a way that's not easy, but that is right according to your word. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name.